A tactic is a maneuver to help keep you in the driver's seat and help you to find out what's mistaken about other people's views and how you can exploit them in a friendly way uh, by using this central keep you in the driver's seat tactic. Let's be honest, talking about our faith, it can get hard sometimes. Sometimes we get caught up in the world, but now the world will have to get caught up in us. We're here to talk about it. We're here to talk about our real faith. We're here to talk about the real God. For unapologetic apologetics everywhere, welcome to Tactical Faith Radio. It is my pleasure and my honor to bring all of you uh, a little sense of the people that I have grown to love and know uh, over the past seven years. And this is one of those fellas. This actually is the guy who started it all for me. And it, we even kind of named our nonprofit off of this book that we'd be talking about today. His name is Greg Kokel. It is because of Greg Kokel uh, over the last eight years that I have been able and blessed to do what I have been able to do here in the state of Alabama. Uh, and today we have a special, not only is he coming on to talk about what he's done in the past and, you know, we'll get to chit chat a little bit about our relationship, but also the 10th anniversary of Tactics. Uh, which is a game plan for us as Christians to be able to talk about our faith both reasonably and persuasively, which in fact kind of encapsulates his entire um, organization stand of reason. So, Greg, thanks for coming on. Mr. Burford, the Birmingham Bassmaster. You didn't tell him I taught you how to bass fish. Well, we'll take that one for another <laughs> podcast. So th- there, there, are, there are good times and bad times with fishing with you. Um, <laughs> That's true. And, uh, well, you had such a good time the first couple times we went out. I knew it ruined you for the rest of your life because you caught some huge fish. It made you think it was easy. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember pick, picking up that uh, huge, what was it, 10 to 11 pound bass just out of my backyard in Montgomery. I know, man. It ruined you for life. Yeah, you thought I know. it was going to be easy. Huh? And boy, that that feeling of the Lord just just not getting hit hard, but just getting taken and going lower. I, you, you have to be a fisherman to know what I'm talking about. But that's I've right. Never, it was a trans. It was a transcendent experience. Yeah. It was a bigger fish than I'd ever caught, like in my entire life of fishing. <laughs> and here you're in beginner's luck, man. I can't uh, believe it. God. Sh- anyway, good to be with you, uh, Matt. God. Sh- God shines you. on those He loves. That's all I have to say. Uh, and uh, he shined on me that day. Hey, uh, That's right. let's start a little bit by uh, introducing. You've been to the state of Alabama a lot. Uh, you've been with me a lot in touring. And, in fact, right. you have a big conference in Birmingham every year. You've been having it in Briarwood. So you're you're a known entity. Uh, a lot of people know you. But for those in the audience that are starting to know me through my Baptist connections, working at the Alabama Baptist State Board of Missions, tell a little bit about who you are. Tell a little bit about your organization. And, and let's start leading into why you're here today. Well, um, 26 years ago, um, I started an organization that was really an expression of my gifts and my desires. And the organization is Stand to Reason. And we started with the goal of training Christians to think more carefully about their convictions and then be able to engage others in a winsome and attractive way in defense of classical Christianity and classical Christian values. And I realized that when we started back in 1993, this is right kind of in the middle of the culture wars, and there was a lot of 
nasty shrillness going on in the political area between Christians on the right and those more liberals uh, on the other side of the of the spectrum. Now, of course, the liberals have moved to the left and much more extreme. We've got a more hard circumstance we're facing right now. But the key was um, we were shrill and we were shallow, I think, in the way we communicated. And so I wanted to try to set a different example and also to train the Christians to do this in uh, in a more effective way, that is, more thoughtfully and with a better attitude. And so part of the development of all of that over the last uh, 26 years of having speakers and having a website and writing books and speaking all over the world, quite quite frankly. In fact, this year we were on our speakers were on six different continents. I mean, we didn't get an invitation to Antarctica, <laughs> but we covered the rest of them and virtually every state in the union. And I've been in 85, actually more than 85 uh, college campuses, uh, both here and abroad. And um, the goal is to is to is to continue what I just said, training Christians so that they have the confidence they need, and they have the courage that they need, and they have the clear thinking that they need to make a difference in this culture. And um, you had mentioned the tactics book being really central to what we're doing at Stand to Reason. If you think of our overall enterprise, we are incarnational, and that is we're not just passing out information. Lots of organizations do that, Matt, and we're glad for that. But uh, we have a little bit different goal. We want to build a certain kind of person with that information. We call them an ambassador. And ambassadors have three basic qualities, uh, whether you're secular, religious, whatever. You choose someone to represent you effectively. You want to make sure they know a few things, uh, the important things. You want to know. You want to make sure they can maneuver with wisdom in a conversation. And finally, you want their character to be to, character to to be up to snuff for the task. Because if they're nasty, um, well, that's just going to ruin the whole project. So we call that knowledge, wisdom, character. Knowledge is an accurately informed mind. Wisdom is an artful method. And character is an attractive manner. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about the tactics book today. The tactics is, uh, focuses on that central quality, tactical wisdom. How do we, how do we navigate in conversations um, that otherwise would be hostile and um, harsh and difficult? How do we navigate so that um, not only it, can it be fun, really, and many people have told me this after they've read the tactics book and began to employ them, but it can be really, really, really effective, much more effective than anything anyone has ever done. I was at an event last night, and this is exactly what somebody told me, what I hear all the time. Boy, this changed my life. This book and these materials made it possible for me to engage in a way that I've never been able to engage before. Yeah. And if people are listening and have been listening to me over the last year or so, you're picking up on a lot of things that I got from Greg and actually used it for my own doctorate. Praxis and dissertation was the idea that you have to be a type of person in carrying a very kind of um, the truth in order to be persuasive. So there's there's also the, there's the mind, there's the hands of service, and then there's the heart of character, as I always kind of promote in my state. So let's talk about tactics specifically. It came out 10 years ago, correct? Yeah, it did, 10 years now. This is, the new edition is the 10th anniversary edition. 
Well, tell me a little bit about tactics. Tell me a little, and we'll go a little bit further. But in what's what's in the tenth anniversary edition that's new? Sure. Well, there's a verse in um, in Colossians that Paul says that in Col- Colossians chapter four, verse four and five. And what Paul says there is that we should conduct ourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. So that's the first thing. First off, he says, be smart. Okay, when you engage people. Okay, good start. Then he says, let the let your words be always be with grace, seasoned as it were with salt. So he says, okay, be smart, then be nice. <laughs> All right, good. What a concept. And then he says, so that you know how to respond to each person. So be smart, be nice, but be tactical. And the tactical approach um, revolves around the idea that everybody's an individual. Um, People are in unique circumstances. They have unique sets of beliefs. And if we are going to make a a difference as we engage those people, um, and we are not conscious that they are individuals, um, then we're going to be treating them one like objects. And secondly, rather than having a personal conversation, and secondly, we're going to be at, we're we're going to be um, offering kind of a cookie cutter approach that is I'm just going to say it. God bless people who use these kinds of approaches, and God does use them. But frankly, by and large, they are oversimplistic for the culture that we are facing now. Hmm. Uh, they they seem clunky to people. They don't seem to hit the the numbers. There's a simple gospel in there, but they don't hit the ideas that people have that are keeping them from taking that gospel seriously. And so what uh, I have put together, and, and frankly, it isn't like I sat down, Matt, and said, well, let me think of a good system to to, to make a difference here to improve things. Rather, it happened over time. Been a Christian for 46 years. I, I mentioned speaking on over um, 85 college and university campuses. I've been on talk radio for 30 years. So in the process of uh, process of all this engagement with ideas and with the people who hold the contrary ideas, this whole da- tactical game plan began to unfold. And what unfolded about it principally is a central approach or a central tactic. A tactic is a maneuver to help keep you in the driver's seat and help you to find out what's mistaken about other people's views and how you can exploit them in a friendly way uh, by using this central keep-you-in-the-driver's-seat tactic. I call it the Colombo tactic after the famous Lieutenant Colombo, who many still remember 40 years ago of TV fame, but he's an icon. And the idea was he'd show up at the at the the um, crime scene, um, looking fairly um, uh, innocuous, like oh this guy he's bumbling around with his trench coat that looks like he slept in it, a stub of a cigar in his hand, forgot his pen or pencil, so he can't he's got to bum one off of somebody to take notes. But he starts asking questions, and he does it in a very unassuming manner, low-key, gathering information. But before you know it, the questions that he's asking is driving home, and those are the things that allow him uh, to get to get the bad guy, to get the killer. Now, so the point here is the tactical game plan is a very intentional way of using questions in a conversation to get the other person engaged, to gather information, to find out what their ideas are and the reasons for their ideas. B 
before we even begin to kind of make the case for our, our side. <clears throat> Excuse me. That is is treating individuals in an individual fashion. That is uh, so we know how to respond to each person. So the core of the tactical game plan, the game plan for discussing your Christian convictions, is what I call the Colombo tactic. There's three parts to it, and uh, and and each part serves an important purpose. But the first two parts are what's great about those is that you don't have to know anything to use them, but you can make tremendous headway. Now, let me make a, a qualifying remark here, Matt, so people understand what I'm after with my ga tactical game plan. When I open up a, a talk on this with an audience, um, I tell them something that, it, that really surprises them. I tell them that I never have it as a goal when I get in a spiritual conversation to lead that person to Christ. Now, of course, I want them to come to Christ, but the but it isn't my goal in that conversation. And this is odd because people have been told, okay, get to the simple gospel, let them hear, even if you don't get anything else, at least you got the most important thing out. Well, it is the most important thing, but it doesn't help if people don't understand what you're talking about. And especially in this day and age, that's the case. They hear the words, they know the religious noise, but they don't really get it because we are so far removed from a Christian culture, even in the South, where you're at, Matt. And, and one would think, well, that would be different. No, it's, it's not much different than everywhere else nowadays, especially with the younger crowd. And so the, the goal of the tactical game plan is not to close the deal. That's not what I'm after. I'm just trying to, as I tell audiences, I'm not here to convert you. I'm here to, <laughs> to annoy you. <laughs> I mean, annoy them in a good way, and that is to get them thinking. I'm going to do what I call not harvesting, but gardening. I'm just going to try to put a stone in their shoe is, uh, is what I tell them. And if I can just get them thinking, in my terminology, do a little gardening, then I'm going to be a happy camper. Because um, I think most of us are gardeners, not harvesters. And because we have a harvesting mentality with our evangelism technique, and a lot of people are uncomfortable with that, well, they sit on the bench. They don't get involved at all. I, don't, I can't do that. That's too scary. Well, I understand that. What I'm trying to show people is that there's a way to engage that's productive, that's relaxed, that's no pressure, no stress, and there's almost no risk to the Christian but it's a, a way of making headway in small bits um, so in, in ways that people never thought they could before. I'm just telling you by the feedback and my own experience. It's a powerful technique using questions in an intentional way to get people thinking and, and just do a little gardening and, and let God worry about the results without having this impulse that we've got to, try to get them to sign on the dotted line and pray to receive Christ. It's not my style. It's not what I do. Uh, it isn't what I've been doing for the last um, 40 years, really. I've been gardening, and, um, and by the grace of God, I've been able to do that pretty effectively, but I've gotten better at it since I quantified in an intentional way the game plan that I'm able to pass on to others in a very clear fashion 
in the book Tactics, a Game Plan for Discussing Your Christian Convictions. I love that idea of gardening and harvesting. I, do you know the, Do you know Rodney Lake from New Zealand? I do know yeah. Rodney. Ro- from, he's Ro- our Kiwi buddy and doing a great job. In, in, I was going to say up there, but down there, <laughs> upside down in New Zealand. So he spent a couple of days with me in Thanksgiving, and we invited him and his son over uh, to spend some family time in the Deep South. He had been in Atlanta with RZIM, and we talked a, a bit uh, together. We talked shop. Uh, he has yeah. kind of a tactical faith kind of organization over over where he is. And he talked about that gardening and harvesting idea, and we really kind of sat on that for a while and talked about it. You know, what could that mean for an organization like me to think through those things? And not only that, because of my position at the Office of Evangelism at the Alabama Baptist State Board of Missions, what does it mean to do evangelism in the 21st century. That idea is right. really good. Uh, think, when it comes to gardening and harvesting, I'm picking your brain now, um, where does apologetics fit and where does evangelism fit, those two terms? In har- do you see apologists as mostly right. just gardening, or do, you see it as, or do you see evangelism as the harvest part of that? What, what do you think? Well, largely I think that apologetics is characteristically a subset of evangelism. In other words, we do apologetics to abet the goal of people taking our message seriously and being persuaded um, to think about it and ultimately be convinced by it and then become Christians, all right? Now, that's a process. And I I became a Christian in 1973. um, That was a long time ago. And, uh, pardon me, in 1973, my younger brother had spent time working with me. I didn't become a Christian just like that. Nobody does anymore. You know, every once in a while is a strange deal, but, you know, Damascus Road, whatever. But for the most part, there's a season when people are thinking about it, okay? Now, I think evangelism plays a big part beyond evangelism. I'm sorry. I think apologetics plays a big part beyond evangelism. I think apologetics serve to strengthen the convictions of Christians, so it makes them more confident. But when you're more confident, then you're going to engage more readily with other people. So there is a mixture of, of apologetics working into evangelism, and those who learn apologetics, well, you know this, Matt, and so do the people that you teach, they, the ones who learn apologetics, even a few things, some of the reasons why we should take our convictions seriously, those are the people that do evangelism more effectively and more consistently because they're courageous, because they're confident. They're not afraid, okay? So all of this works together. And I see um, what I'm calling gardening, I'm contrasting it to, um, to the, the approach where you, sit, you share some basic gospel truths and then you press for someone to receive Christ. So what in that methodology, which is the methodology we inherited from the Jesus movement when I became a Christian, seemed to work then, but, uh, but the problem is not only has the culture changed, but this wasn't even the biblical model. There wasn't, would you pray with me to receive Christ kind of stuff going on in the book of Acts. The closest thing you had to an altar call was a baptism in the book of Acts. No, and and I'm not against that kind of prayer per se, but I don't want people to feel enslaved to that approach. Instead, in the book of Acts, what you had is people communicating the gospel, saying what they could in different circumstances, 
you could call it gardening, if you will, at any level that you want. And the people who were inclined to trust the Lord believed in the Lord. It was it was that simple. They became followers. They got open their hearts. The thousands responded. And what do we do? Well, be baptized. You know, wh- wh- what do we do? Is that what do we do now that we know and believe what you just told us? So, so there was a sense of confidence in the Holy Spirit working to, in a sense, close the sale. And we didn't have to push for that so much. So I think of, of gardening largely as everything that leads up to asking for the commitment or asking for the sale. And in my view, I don't even biblically, I don't think that asking for the sale is absolutely vital. If you're doing the gardening right, the Holy Spirit accomplishes that task. Now, if people aren't convinced by that last thing, okay, fair enough. If they still want to close the sale, fine. But if you want to harvest, you better do some gardening. Because, and this is a a, a truism, before there can be any harvest, there always has to be a season of gardening. I mean, this is true in agriculture, but it's true in evangelism as well. Before there can be any harvest, there always has to be a season of gardening. And for the people that are listening to us, Matt, I'm absolutely convinced that the vast majority of them are not harvesters. They're not the kind of people that are going to get people to sign on the dotted line. The idea of that in principle sounds great, but in practice scares the heck out of them. Mm -hmm. And so they're sitting on the bench because they're nervous about that kind of thing. They won't get engaged. Then I, I sympathize entirely with that. My suggestion is if instead of thinking in terms of harvesting, they think in terms of what I'm calling gardening, which Jesus in John chapter 4 simply called sowing. There are some who sow and some who reap. That's what Jesus said. One field, two seasons, two kinds of workers. A sowing season for sowers, a reaping season for reapers. I mean, nothing complicated about that, but we don't think of it that way. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus also says the sower and the reaper re- rejoice together. So I look at people, that I know people, that were in my garden. And when I say in my garden, they were non-Christians that were listening to the Stand to Reason broadcast years ago. And that played a vital role in in them crossing the line. And by the way, some of these people are, are people, you, you, you guys, your, your listeners are going to uh, uh, recognize their names, like Jay Warner Wallace author of Cold Case Christianity. Ever heard of that guy? Um, He's one of the best apologists uh, going right now. He's fabulous, written three bestseller books, uh, trading on his experience as a uh, as a investigative detective solving cold case murders. And, um, and he, in the process of applying his skills to the Bible, became a Christian. But while he was still an atheist, he was listening to our show. Or Abdu Murray, who's with, he's the executive vice president of Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, for goodness sake. He's a Muslim who became a Christian, but when he was a Muslim, he was listening to our radio show. In other words, these are two well-known guys that was, were in my garden, and someone came into my garden and harvested my fruit. <laughs> you think I care? I don't care. And I think, no, I, because we're all working together. We're all on the same team. And so that's that I think is probably the, it took maybe a longish answer, but that's the relationship I think to the whole idea of evangelism and apologetics and gardening. They are all blended together. And what I'm trying to do is emphasize an important aspect of evangelism 
that's critical for a good harvest uh, that most people don't even think about. They think about the harvest part. Mm-hmm. And they say, I'm not good at that. And so they're sitting on the bench. And what I wanted, want them to do is get them off of the bench and get them into the garden. Forget about the end game. God's going to worry about that. You get out there, take some of these techniques that are taught in the book of tactics and, uh, and start doing a little gardening because without the gardening, there will be no harvest. Yeah, that's awesome. And you can see that kind of heart in Greg's organizations in his, the events that he go to, he goes to. It's the reason why I've always brought him over to do things for me. And, and to be honest with you, there were times in, let's say 2001, when I first found you, I used to use real media to pull down your, I mean, you were doing podcasts before people were doing podcasts. (laughs) That's right. I mean, you were doing them 15, 20 years before everybody else was doing it. I was telling a friend of mine, I, I used to take up my old, Creative Nomad 2C MP3 player that had 32 megs on it, and the only thing it had every week was a Stand to Reason radio because <laughs> it was it would only hold two hours of audio, and I would jog for a week, and then I would look forward to the next one that I could do. I mean, you, I mean, I'm I'm the product, you know. I'm one, I mean, I was I was a Christian when I was six years old, uh, but it took it took me listening to people like you and having mentors like my father and other people to grow into the person that I am today. And I love getting people passionate about talking about their faith. And this is one of the reasons I'll, I do what I do. And, it, and you're a direct, right. I mean, you're one of those people that directly did that for me. That's uh, why we named my organization after your book, because <laughs> I want to <laughs> see people get passionate about speaking about the, and, there, and there's another effect of that too by the way you become more curious about your faith uh, and it deepens your faith as you become more curious about your faith right um, and then don't be a, one of the things you've taught me before um, you're just listening to is I'm not really afraid of what the other side brings you know in uh-huh. terms of conversation I'm you know I'm, I'm an open curious person and I've always been that way. And but I've, I go into a situation prepared. Listen, I do a podcast for a bunch of NFL college football guys. They're always talking about being prepared in practice before game day. That's right. You can't do. You just can't come to game day, you know, without being prepared. And that's what we're saying here too. And it just so fits. I'm. I've yeah. stolen so many things from you. I'm going to steal the gardening thing from you. Um. Uh. You know. I, I like I always do. I'm going to always say it's yours, but. Um, it's just too good not to talk about more. All right. Yeah. So, so before before we go, uh, give me a little bit of what's new. You don't have to give up everything, but what's what is new in the book for those who have had the book, have used the book, who probably talked sure. to the book. What what's the new one have? Well, I'm just going to give you this the, the summary exhortation right now. If you have the old book and it's tattered and worn and underlined in every page, which many <laughs> many of them are, people show them to me. Good for you but you're missing out on 40% new material, double the number of tactics, uh, six new chapters if you don't get the new book. Um, This will take some of the notions that I um, I, I just touch on briefly in the first book, like the the gardening portion. I make a very brief reference to that, but in the last, in the first book, but in the last 10 years, I've developed this notion much more, and so I spend a lot more time explaining it so that people have a, 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 a way of looking at the enterprise that is a predicate to the game plan, because the game plan is the game plan. That hasn't changed much. But, the, but I want people to be thinking about the right way of using the game plan, and when they see the right way to use it, the most effective way to use it, they're going to get into play 
uh, more consistently because uh, because they've grasped the importance of being a gardener as opposed to worrying about the harvesting. So I've taken sections of the book that are that I have there in kind of seminal form in the first edition, and I've expanded them significantly. Uh, secondly, there are other things like that that are so so thoroughly expanded. I made whole new chapters out of them. And so I had like two paragraphs on defending against Colombo. In other words, what do you do when somebody starts using questions against you? People learn how effective they can be against others, but what about when they're in the hot seat, so to speak? And um, and I needed to expand on that because uh, you probably know about Peter Bogosian and what he calls uh, street epistemology. He's written a book. Like I can turn around and my and see it here on my bookshelf because I bought it. It's called a manual for creating atheists. And basically, Bogosian, the atheist professor over at Portland State University, has written a tactics book for atheists, and he's teaching them how to use questions. It's amazing how similar the books are. And um, and he he tells them don't argue for atheism and don't argue against Christianity. Just ask questions to plant a seed of doubt in their mind, which is my concept of putting a stone in their shoe. It works from both sides because of human nature. And so what I had to do is expand the section on defending against Colombo because of the sophisticated and I think manipulative way atheists are learning how to use uh, questions to upend Christians. And they've been doing it very effectively, by the way. The number of atheists, according to the latest Pew poll, has increased from 2% to 4%. Now, 4% is still a small number, but it's double what it used to be in recent years. So they're making headways. Um, And so I added that to it. I added a whole new tactic called Inside Out, a whole chapter on that. And this is what um, something I've been practicing for a long time, but I was finally able to articulate it. And to put it very simply, we have an ally, and the ally is reality. And part of reality is human beings made in the image of God. That's not just a speculation on our view. God's, the, the world God made is the true world, and human beings actually are made in the image of God, which means there are a bunch of things already built in to every human being that, um, that helps them, that, that gives them the truth or aspects of the truth before you even have to start talking to them. And so instead of persuading them of certain things um, that are relative to the Christian worldview, if you listen long enough, they're going to bear testimony to their deep belief that those are true, and you could take advantage of that. Every, every individual, even who says they're a moral relativist, they are, they are deep, deep down inside, they're a moral realist. They believe in morality, and the uh, morality they believe in is objective, absolute morality. It comes out in their conversation even amidst their denials. So what I teach in that chapter is to look for these kinds of things. And, uh, and they relate also to the existential need, the deep hunger every human being has for God. Um, Augustine famously said, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. That's true of every human being. And sometimes, Matt, we can bypass the intellectual apologetic stuff and kind of go right to the very powerfully felt existential need of every human being. 
for meaning and purpose and ultimately for forgiveness. And uh, that's all there in the chapter. And then finally, I have a mini a chapter on mini tactics. And I think I have five or six different tactics there. They just take a couple of uh, chapter, uh, rather paragraphs for explanation. Uh, but they're clever little maneuvers that that come in, in in lots of circumstances where you where you can use them. One is called "What a Friend We Have in Jesus." Okay, that's the name of the tactic. But the idea there is let Jesus do the arguing for you when possible. So if people get mad at Christians for saying that Jesus is the only way of salvation. We can say, "Oh gosh, I can understand why that would bug you," but I didn't make that up. Jesus said it. You think he was mistaken. Uh, now, why this is important is that we don't have credibility with people, but Jesus still does. And so when you put it on Jesus, that helps uh, helps your case. Let him do the arguing for you. So though, that's a little bit of a sketch of some of the stuff, the new stuff. The whole book is better written, too. I just started the very first word. I went all the way to the end. So in addition to the stuff I added, I improved the just the sound and the, 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 the scripting of the, the rest of the narrative, because I, I hope I've learned a few things about writing more effectively in the last 10 years. So when, when you want to learn how to do plumbing, you go to a plumber, right? If you want to learn a little bit about medicine, you go to a doctor. You always want to go to a practitioner who does it and does it well, and that's who Greg Kokel is, and he's got the 10th anniversary of Tactics a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions is out now. Go get it. I mean, we need a church full of these kind of people because we're called to be those kind of people. And just think of what a church could do. What would the overflow look like in this broken kingdom if we could all be curious, love one another, have our heads pointed towards God the Father, and we talk in ways that are persuasive about the one that we love, and that is Jesus Christ. And all those things are found in Greg Kokel, my friend, my good friend, my good brother. Thank you so much for coming on. And, and look, we're, we're going to have you back. It's been it's been too long since we've had Tactical Faith and Greg Kokel in, in, in partnership together. So let, let, let's do it sometime next year or so. Yeah, look, I'd love to do it again, Matt. And uh, we got to get in the water sometime as well. I, one last thing I want to say is I just checked Amazon this morning, and I think I've got 36 reviews for the new book. Every single one of them is five stars. Every single one of them. So, uh, so far, so good. I mean, there's going to be some disgruntled people, but this is the way people are responding to the new edition. I'm not trying to wave my own flag. I'm just trying to encourage people uh, to get a hold of this book because I think it's going to absolutely transform the way they engage. If they read it, and if they do it. And the rule here is, if you don't do it, it don't work. Okay, <laughs> Pretty much like everything else. Well, You never get out of the water, you're not going to catch a fish, right? No exactly lines in the right. water, no fish, man. Well, my dad, my dad said after the first time we ever had you down, that was probably the best teacher I've ever heard. You've always been that for me. Thank you so much for coming on. You're the best. It's w, <laughs> It's Stand a Reason. What is the What is the URL for people to find Stand a Reason? Now, stand a reason. The acronym is STR, and that's our URL, str.org. They can get the book there. In our, in our, uh, it's on special now, I think, in our bookstore. And uh, of course, you can always get it at Barnes and Noble. You can get it at Amazon. You know, all of that stuff. So, all the standard places. You're the best, Greg. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, buddy. All righty. Thanks, Matt.